0: Good morning. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Doug, for for leading us. Thank you, Brother Chris, for sharing with us. And and I do invite you to open your Bibles uh, to the book of James uh, as we we look at God's Word. You know, the, the psalmist said that I was glad when they said unto me, unto us, let us go into the house of the Lord. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Isn't it good to be here and to, to, to sing how excellent is your name because it is in his name uh, that we come this morning and we have the blessed privilege of being to assemble here this morning as God's people to give him praise, to give him honor, to give him glory for he is deserving of all of our praise. So, so welcome again and, and thank you for your presence. As we gather in the name of Christ. Now, uh, I told the, uh, the service this morning that my initial plans were to, to preach for at least two hours this morning. Uh, I, <laughs> I need to get you guys ready for the return of Pastor Sam next week. So, but, 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 but no, we'll, we'll be out of here in, in, in time for you to, to get to lunch. Uh, But uh, Brother Chris has already opened up for us uh, the letter that God has gifted us with from James. I love the book of James. Uh, The book of James presents to us uh, quite a challenge. A challenge that I like to call contrasting priorities. And so my plan this morning is to give an overview of the letter, uh, to, to whet your appetite hopefully, what brother, the brother James has to say to us, and and my prayer would be as the Lord gives us opportunity going forward, I would be able to come back and and dive just a little bit deeper into some of the aspects of what James has for us. But but for right now, what, what I want to do is just take this book and 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 give this overarching theme of contrasting realities to just set the stage for for what he has for us. So I, I need you to keep your 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 Bible open uh, to James. We're going to jump around in that book just a little bit, so ask your patience as we do that. Uh, But I hope that you get as excited about it as I am. Let let me start off by picking up in verse 5 of James chapter 1. Again, uh, Chris has read for us uh, verses 1 through 4. Let let me pick up at verse number 5, and and I will read through verse 8. And Verse 8 is going to kind of set the theme for what we do this morning as we take an overlook uh, at this book. Here's what James says in verse 5 of James 1. If any of you lack wisdom, wisdom Wisdom's going to be a, a theme that goes throughout this book, so make sure you underline that word. If you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him verse 6 but but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the lord and then verse 8 he is a double-minded man he's unstable in all of his ways that's stability it's what James desires for God's people. To live a life uh, that is representative of the transformation uh, that has taken place in our heart by the word of God that has been, been given to us. Indeed, when I think about these contrasting realities, that's the essence of what I want to say this morning. Uh, what are these realities? Here, Here's what James wants to tell us. Uh, on one hand there is the need to establish and maintain doctrinal soundness with God's people. Our faith is not a willy-nilly faith. Our faith is is not uh, based upon whim and folly and and all of that foolishness. Our faith is anchored deeply in the truths of God's Word, the Word that transforms us so that we can become living sacrifices unto the Lord God Almighty. So, so there's the, uh, the issue of James is, is wanting to acknowledge that there are doctrinal truths that should guide us uh, on one hand. But on the other hand, uh, there's a need to establish and maintain practical guidelines for living out the truth of the gospel. Now, folks, there's really no conflict between those two realities. They both unite to give glory and to give honor to God. You know, here at West Park, we often say that proper orthodoxy leads to proper orthopraxy. And so as I I look at these realities, I I want you to understand that we need to to be uh, steeped in the understanding of what God wants us to know in our minds and in our hearts. But ultimately, that has to translate into how we walk. It has to translate into how we walk. So before I get into the details of those this morning, let me just take a step back, and let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the background of the letter of James. In particular, we, we want to take a look at James himself, the person, What an intriguing character. uh, The the historians would say that this is James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Uh, And and even as as he would would go on to become a leader in the church, let me first point out that technically, we don't want to get confused with this fact. James was not an apostle. Uh, Just to remind you, the apostles were a select group of men, called by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, uh, and were key leaders to build and establish the New Testament church. Uh, the Lord used the apostles specifically uh, to instruct the church doctrinally and in practice. However, these men would eventually move off to scene. And with them, as, as they would die and, and go on to be with the Lord, the office of apostle would cease. Now in its place, there's still leadership that needs to be established within the church. And so God establishes the office of elder. And I think James was one of the very first to hold this very important office. It was an office that the apostles themselves Recognized. For instance, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1, verses 18 and 19, and and speaking of James, uh, says this He says that after three years I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Now, Cephas was another name for Peter, and he remained with Peter for 15 days. And during that time, he saw no other of the apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ himself. Now that poses a very interesting question. How would you imagine growing up in the same family as Jesus Christ? That, that could be quite an interesting challenge, to say the least. Um, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of insight into the early childhood of Jesus and his his family life, but there are some some insights that I think are are very helpful for us. Helpful when we think about James, and we think about the man that God was destining him to become. It's a great story for all of us to recognize that wherever we start in life, God has a plan for you. He's at work to help you become all that you are destined to become in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, no doubt, uh, the circumstances of, of James' life are going to be very important, and we're going to see those play out. But just here are uh, some little snapshots into that chi- early childhood. Uh, Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 13, v- verses 58, 53 to 58. Uh, hear what uh, the Bible says. And, and Jesus had finished these parables. He went away from there. And going to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished. And said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty words? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? That's interesting. And not all of his sisters with him. Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own family. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Here's another interesting snapshot from John's Gospel. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, listen at verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. Even his brothers. Now, the scripture tells us why. Mark's gospel, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Then he went home. This is Jesus. And the crowds gathered again so that they could not even eat. Verse 21. And when his family heard it, They went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. Listen to that. When his brothers would would get around and and would talk about big brother and look at what was going on in his life uh, they came to the conclusion that he was out of his mind. God can make Uh, a miraculous work, uh, miraculous results work in the life of any of us. But there were loads of tension, I would imagine, in that household Uh, because they did not understand what was happening with Big Brother. But I I like what writer John Bloom of the organization Desiring God uh, has to say about it. Here's what John says. He says, it is moving to hear James refer to his brother, as our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Out of his mind to now the Lord of my life. And John goes on to say, can you imagine what this phrase meant for James? The Lord of glory has slept beside him, ate at his dinner table, played with his friends, spoke to him like a brother, endured his unbelief, paid the debt, of his sin, and then brought him to faith. God is in the business of bringing unbelievers to faith. It was out of this backdrop that God was preparing James for a very special mission in life. Uh, As James wrote uh, this uh, letter to the church, uh, it's projected that the timeline was around 42 to 48 Uh, A.D., uh, about 10 to 15 years after Jesus himself had been crucified. Uh, uh, A lot of this detail is is captured for us in Acts chapter 12 through 15. Now, following his conversion uh, as an adult to the Christian faith, I I really think James started to associate himself with the apostles. And he began to work with them, joining in with them as they began to build the first Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Now, you, need to, you need to dig deep in the book of Acts to find that, but it's there. <laughs> James' audience was, was primarily Jewish. Uh, and, and that was interesting because that colored how James viewed the world. Uh, there, there's interesting, there are a number of references in James' uh, letter to Jesus directly uh, on the screen. Uh, we have a list here of some of the, contra- the comparison between James's letter and the book of Matthew. Well, let me just look at one of those in particular, uh, James 5, 12 and Matthew 5, 34 through 37. Here's what James writes in chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. The lecture, yes, yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation now look at what uh, i'm sure james re- reflected back upon his time with jesus when he when he thought he was out of his mind and, and the holy spirit would bring back some remembrance of what uh, the things that jesus taught and, and so listen at matthew 5 34 through 37 but i say to you do not take an oath at all either by heaven for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more from that comes from the evil." So it's interesting to see this this commonality that that James had for what Jesus taught. However, it's also interesting to note that absent directly from the epistle of James are any references directly to the gospel, to the redemption message, to incarnation, or even the resurrection. It appears that James was focusing on ensuring that the daily practices of the new church, church would line up with the teachings of the faith. Now, you could say that James was primarily interested in the fruitfulness of the church. And that fruitfulness would naturally flow out of the roots of our faith that are anchored deeply into doctrinal truth. James' his focus was not primarily how, on how to evangelize the laws. Rather, it's squarely focused on what comes after saving faith takes root in the heart of the new convert. I, I think James took a look at the great commission that Christ gave to his church, and his emphasis was on the make disciples portion of that. So, so he's keenly focused on compelling the new converts to grow in the way of holiness. And more specifically, how to translate these doctrinal truths, the doctrinal foundation into practical realities. And and that's the essence of what I call contrasting uh, priorities. Now, because of the, the lack of developing a specific doctrinal subject, Uh, in his book, uh, James's letter is often looked down upon by the historic leaders of the church. For instance, take the great reformer, Martin Luther, who wrote in 1522 this quote that I have on the screen about James' epistle. Brother Luther said that St. James' epistle is a right-scrawing epistle compared to those others, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. Now look, I don't want to stand up here and and propose that I can take issue with the great reformer, but but I would like to think that now that he's been in heaven for a few hundreds of years, that he's come across Brother James, and he's had to (laughs) recant of this statement. Because indeed, I think that James is one of the wonderful gifts that God has given to us. Sure, maybe it's not steeped in the, the doctrinal uh, basis that we find in some of the other New Testament, but it, 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 it provides an important uh, truth of transli- transgression for us where we translate from, from understanding doctrinal truth to putting it into practice. David Mathis, executive editor of Desiring God, puts it this way. James clearly does not lay out any extended exposition of Jesus' per- person and work, like Paul does in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians. That is certainly true. James' short epistle is a call to Christian action, to living out the gospel we profess, not just believing it. James does assume massive truths, and that's okay. No single biblical book or apostolic epistle, not even Romans, tells the whole story on its own or provides all the essential details. God, his son, his gospel, his world, and the essential truths that, God, that the Christian life are based upon. The purpose of the epistle is clearly practical and ethical. Doctrine is assumed more than enunciated. The thrust is for action and obedience. The law is to be lived. The purpose is to correct faults, to instruct the wavering, to instill discipline, to rebuke backsliding, and to encourage genuine godliness throughout the redeemed fellowship. James has been given to us to help us balance doctrinal truth with practical living. So how do we go about discussing this balance? And again, the the entire book is dedicated to this. Uh, It's it's a really short epistle. There's there's only five chapters. I I would encourage you to, to go home. It'll take you just a little short of 15 minutes to read through it all but it's such a powerful uh, truth, and it it's such a powerful uh, lesson from us, from God Almighty. So how do we, how do we balance uh, these two contrasting uh, realities? Well, here's the first point. Contrasting realities. Avoid having a double-minded mentality. Avoid having a double-minded mentality. Let's go back again and look at verse 8 of James chapter 1. James is saying, if any of you lack wisdom, ask of God, and he will give it to you. Uh, one of the things I love about James's epistle is he asks those certain pertinent questions that face us. And not only does he ask the question, he gives the answer. So many times we, we walk through life and, and we want to know what way should we go. And God is telling you, here's the answers. I've given you the living word. Abide by it. Understand it and live it out. But here's the warning. When we don't do what God tells us to do, what should we expect? The consequences to follow. And James in verse 8 gives us one of those dire consequences. He says, for anyone who ignores God's wisdom, In verse 8, he is a double-minded man, and he's unstable in all his ways. Is he unstable in some of his ways? Is he unstable in many of his ways? No, the Bible says if you are double-minded, you are unstable in all of your ways. So what is the essence of a double-minded man? Well, here's the issue. Here's the answer. To be a double-minded man says that you have a double-minded mentality. A double-minded mentality means that you have or try or attempt to have feet firmly planted in one of two places. That you you attempt to balance two worldviews. In other words, on one hand, you claim with your mouth that you are firmly committed to following the steps of Jesus. You may even read your Bible. Maybe you have, once in a while, a a time of personal devotion. And maybe you just come to church on a regular basis. In other words, by all outward appearances, you really do put on a pretty good show of being a Christian. But, at other times, the other foot is firmly planted in the wisdom of the world. It's okay to live by Christian principles until you get riled up and you have to fight evil with evil, because you're just not going to let anybody just run over you. But James says, if the, if that's what you're trying to do, believe you and me, this is hard. Then you have a double-minded. Mentality. Later in this letter, James puts it this way in chapter 3, verses 11 through, verses 10 through 12. James says, from the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers. Bear olives or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. To have a double minded mentality is one of the worst sins that a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ could ever have. To be double minded is to be unstable in all your ways. You must Avoid that duplicity at all at all costs. If not, then everything that you stand for is suspect. You must make sure that your life, that your walk in life, matches up squarely with what you believe. That, that leaves the point number two that I want to leave with you this morning. Uh, a double-minded mindset and Mentality, mentality often sets on top of a double-minded motivation. A double-minded motivation. You know, the Bible's very clear that the only motivation that is acceptable to God is for everything that we do in life, that our aim and our goal is to please Him. If there's any other motivation, then that flows out, of a double mind. Jesus was quick to point out this uh, sin as well. Uh, In Matthew chapter uh, 23, here's what he says to a group of people who have a double-minded motivation. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you are hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of, of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. You know, one of the outcomes of this double-minded motivation for the Pharisees is they like to pick and choose. There are some people they like to associate with and then others they wouldn't have a thing to do with. Uh, This this issue of preferential treatment was one of the things that uh, that made them hypocritical. Now, Brother James is, is here seeing the new church get established. And guess what he sees? He sees this issue of preferential treatment starting to to seep in to the fellowship. And he realizes he has to put a stop to it right quick. So that's why James writes in James chapter 2 verses 1 and then verse 9. Here's what James says to any of us who would like to establish preferential treatment among people in our congregation. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then verse nine, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. It it appears that uh, within the church, that, that James was helping to shepherd, that, that this, this issue of motivation was, was leading people to prefer the rich over the poor. James is saying, don't do it. The biblical doctrine is that all people are created equally in the sight of God. That was the doctrine God passed on to apostle Peter in the book of Acts chapter 10, in particular verse 15, when When God told Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. When the church gives preferential treatment to people for whatever reason, it is a cause for concern. It was a cause in Jerusalem, and it's a cause that is still apparent and, and at times bubbles up in our churches today. God is declaring that all people should be treated with dignity and respect. That's a doctrinal uh, purpose and principle. Jesus simply does not recognize groupies. And James would have to rise above his Jewish roots and see that God is building a new community that was open to everyone who would call upon the name of Jesus. So so there was this conflict that was uh, apparent in the church around preferential treatment. Now, uh, James goes to go, goes on to talk about how we should handle conflict. Uh, that's in James chapter four. James four. And, and let me just read verses one through four of James chapter four. Uh, and, and it's interesting. Again, James addresses specific questions. He, he gives the answer. Don't you like it when the answer is given? And here's one in particular. So verse one, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you don't you want to know the answer to that question when you got the kids in the back seat and you've been on a long trip don't you want to know why are you guys fighting well here's the answer here james gives you the answer he says is it not this that your passions are at war within you you desire and you do not have so you murder. You covet and obtain and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You think James has something to tell us about passions this morning? Then he says, you adulterous people, wow. You adulterous people, uh, let's let's look at that a minute, just a second. Do you not know that the church is the bride of Christ? Do you not know that we are married to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you not know that when we leave the Lord Jesus Christ because we're attracted by the world, that that we, we have committed adultery? Because we are committed to him and to him alone. So James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Double-minded motivation lies at the root of this conflict. And we have to be careful as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to make sure that our allegiance remains true to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. You fight because it's your passion that is at war within you. And if that if that's your motivation to feed your passions, the Lord, the, James is saying to you, your prayers won't even be answered. It's a prayer of futility. God declares that you get your motivation right or just get used to more fighting. Now let's talk a little bit about prayer. Um, Prayer is a very important aspect of what it means to marry up doctrinal truth with practical living. It just grieves my heart that among God's people that we find so little prayer. Prayer should mark our lives. The the Apostle Paul says to pray without ceasing. But yet, when I talk with God's people, prayer oftentimes seems to be the issue of last resort. When everything else fails, then we pray. Well, look, folks, prayer needs to start our day. Prayer needs to be in the midst of our day. Prayer needs to be the way we close our days out. We ought to be people of prayer. In fact, James writes specifically about prayer in his epistle. Turn with me to James chapter 5. Let's see what practical advice James gives to us when it comes to this issue of prayer. James chapter 5, and and I'm going to start at verse number 13. Here's what what James says about the priority of prayer in a very specific instance. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Look specifically here at verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another. You know, that's a discipline that I think we don't practice enough in the church as well. It's the confession of sin. Unfortunately, if you have sinned, and and, and for some reason you think the way to escape that sin is to keep it in the dark, to keep it to yourself, that, that's, that's a wrong answer. The Bible says there's healing in confession. If you want to know sometimes maybe why you're not sleeping well at night, why, why maybe food doesn't taste as good, maybe why my relationships are not as healthy, maybe it's because of unconfessed sin. And God will not let unconfessed sin go unannounced or go unattended. What you should do is find someone that you have great confidence in, uh, that you know that you can come to them and share uh, this, and get that sin out of the darkness into the light. Satan wants you to stay in the darkness. Come out of the darkness. Confess your sins one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So James is talking to us about how to practically pray. Now look, I'm a great fan of modern medicine. Uh, The Lord has blessed us so greatly with what he's been able to do through our doctors and our nurses and and all the facilities that he's given to us and and the wonderful medications that's available. But Christian, listen to me. Don't Have a double-minded motivation that places all of your trust in what man has done. And leave out prayer. When you put together your plan for addressing whatever health issue you're dealing with, make sure you don't leave God out. Make sure that prayer is a key part of your treatment plan. Far too often, prayer just seems to end up on the plan as an item of last results. When everything else seems to fail, we, and we have nowhere else to turn, we, come, we, we become desperate to pray. That's just evidence of a double-minded mindset. And so what does James tell us to do? Let me just read that again. In verse number 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So when you put your treatment plan together, make sure prayer has a high priority. Uh, and, and follow the prescription that, that James has put here. What does he say? If you are sick, what are you to do? Pray, but what? Call the elders. You ought to call, the. you need to make your request known. You know, I am so grateful for our ABFs and the fine job they do of of putting their prayer requests together. And in these requests, they list the needs of the members of that ABF. And and we take a look at those uh, in our church office because that's a wonderful way for us to know what's going on with the flock. There are prayer cards in the seat back in front of you. Take those cards out. Fill them out. Drop them in the offering plate so that we will know how to pray for you. Uh, We get prayer requests via our our website. We get telephone calls and and even word of mouth. We learn what's going on and where we need to pray. Let them call on the elders. But folks, let me tell you, it is just a sad time when our pastors get together and, and we learn that someone's gone through a sickness or a need, and we knew nothing about it. Please let us know so that we can pray for you. I'm so excited that our church is in the final stages of affirming the men that have been presented to us to serve as elders. Uh, I look forward to to working alongside these 13 men in whatever capacity the Lord lets me. And, And one of the areas that I know that these 13 elders will be doing is praying for you. They're going to be praying for you. And then I look forward to when we get those requests that says someone is sick and they've requested that the elders would come and to anoint them with oil. Now, let me say this to you. Let me make sure I'm clear. Uh, Over the last year or so, I've been blessed personally to go with... Uh, members of our church, and and we've had the opportunity to sit with members who are sick, and and we've anointed them with oil, and we've prayed over them, and God has blessed. In every instance that I can think of, God has blessed. He's blessed the person that's been anointed. He's blessed the the family and the friends that have gathered together to be part of that service. He's blessed us who, who are there to administer it. Because we're following the commands of God. But I need to be very clear with you. There's no power, no mystical power in the oil. The power lies in the fact that we are obedient to the commands of God. And we serve a God who's willing and wanting to bless us. God honors those who honors him. So call on us. It would be our privilege. And it it would be your blessing, and it would be to God's glory that we come and we pray for you. What you have to do is call. That leads me to the last point. Because God is calling. He's calling us to continue on with the work that Jesus Christ himself has established. And and that's my third point. Contrasting realities. Avoid having a double-minded mission. Avoid having a double-minded mission. Folks, there are not two missions that we're on. There's not three missions that we're on. There's one mission. And we need to unite behind the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus himself left with us in John chapter 14, verse 12. Here's what Jesus said, In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Greater works are based on a single vision of the mission from Christ. Now, James deals with this issue as well. Again, I love what James does. He, he takes these lofty commands and doctrinal issues that we are all familiar with, and he says, how do you do it? How do you put this into action? Look what James does with this issue. In, in James chapter 1, verse 27, uh, when we talk about a single vision, vision, a single mission for the church, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled. Before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows and their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That seems pretty clear to me. Any church that is looking at how do we accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ and they avoid this issue, this, this particular and clear teaching, then something's wrong. And you know, what that says to me, here's the principle. God is concerned about the most vulnerable in society. He's concerned about those who are without hope. He's concerned with those who are not able to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Now, you know, sometimes it's, it's difficult dealing with the most vulnerable. You wouldn't think it would be, right? But sometimes it is. Sometimes the hand that feeds you, that that feeds the mouth, gets bitten by that same mouth. So it's a hard thing. And it would be tempting to just give up and, and, and go away. But, you know, that's just not getting it right. Here's the fact of the matter. Here's the fact of the matter. God in heaven himself looked down upon the earth, and he saw those that were the most vulnerable. And you know what he did? He took on flesh. He took on flesh and he came down to earth to do for them what they could not do for themselves. And you know what they did? You know what we did? We nailed him to a cross. Now did Jesus say, oh, there's a bunch of knuckleheads down there. I'm just going to take my marbles and I'm going to go home. No! Hebrews 12 says, for the joy he endured the suffering of the cross because he came to serve those who were most vulnerable. We need to continue to serve those that are most vulnerable. That's one, one outcome of a pure and undefiled religion. James also talks about the second one, and that means to be unstained, from the world. Now there's a a saying that I think we're all kind of familiar with. You ever heard that saying, some people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? Have you ever heard that? Well, here's what I think James would say in response to that saying. Here's what James would say. He would say, the more heavenly focused that you are, the more earthly good you will do. All right, let me say that again. All right. I made that one up, so I won't say it again. All right. The, the more heavenly focused you are, the more earthly good you will become. Folks, that, that's what a pure and undefiled religion is it's to take the fundamental doctrines and truth of God, and then translate those into practical living. That's what the book of James is all about. It's a wonderful little book. And I'm sure Martin Luther has recanted what he said. (laughs) Because when we look at what God has has commanded us to do, it's, it's, it's the things of life that will make him most pleased with us. Amen? So as as we think about that and as we get ready to leave this morning, we're we're leaving with the opportunity to go forth and to put into action uh, the the, the faith that we live, that we believe, the faith that we love, because James says that that faith without works is dead.